Well, it's so good to be here with you, wherever you are, whatever campus you are, online, however you are joining us for our service today. My name is Zach. I'm the campus pastor at our Calhoun campus. It is an honor to be here with you this evening to continue in our worship service together, no matter how you are joining us as we continue in our current series called Ripple Effect, where we've been journeying through 1 Corinthians, and I've got good news for you. If there's something said in the message and you got more questions, hey, i got a great next step for you. Text Matt about it. Don't text me. Email Matt about it. we got it right there for you, for him. Hey, it's just an honor to jump in uh, to this series as we're just jumping into chapter 7. Last week, I'm going to continue and finish out chapter 7 with us uh, wherever you're joining with us from today. And so one of the things I'm going to bring up as we continue our conversation in 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul shifts gears and and begins to focus on something, a specific part of our life. And we can really use this word to start us off, purpose. How often do you think about the word purpose when it comes to your life? I would say a lot. I would say all of us probably today have thought and asked questions and looked in the mirror and wondered, like, like, what is my purpose? That's just one of those big questions. It doesn't matter if you're a 12-year-old or if you've just graduated and you're in college and you're trying to figure out what your first job is or if you're an empty nester. We're always going to be asking this question, what's my purpose right now? And we find it a bunch of different ways. We know what it's like. For someone to have purpose. And we know what it's like for someone not to have purpose. Maybe you're here in this moment and you're searching for this. And we would say like in these moments when we don't necessarily feel like we have purpose, we would kind of use the word like, I just feel like I'm searching, but I'm not there. I don't feel like there's just, there's inconsistencies with me. I don't feel necessarily driven. I just don't feel like I have that thing that I'm chasing and that I'm looking for. But I see other people, because you and I, to contrast those thoughts, we know what it's like to see somebody with purpose, living with purpose. And we could kind of tie that into our series, is that when we have have a sense of purpose, having that has a ripple effect on your life. It just does. You've seen this. I've seen this. Like, just practically, I've seen people who travel for the first time. Right, And they get that itch and they get that bug and all of a sudden there's a new sense of purpose. I want to travel more. And what happens? A ripple effect in how they spend their money, what they schedule on their weekends, what they say yes to and no to. And all of a sudden they've got this sense, this plan, like, hey, we're going to, you've seen some, I've got a friend right now who's found this in like exercising and goal setting and working out. All of a sudden they got this itch, they got this bug, and they've got this taste of life that's causing them to be driven. There's a ripple effect in what they eat. There's a ripple effect in the apps that they use now, right? The books that they read, the things that they post. There's just this, this change that happens when you and I Feel this sense of purpose. And Paul's been talking about that. And especially if you're you're joining us right now and you've been asking these questions because you feel like you've lacked this or you felt the opposite of this, that lacking a sense of purpose also has a ripple effect on your attitude, on on your mood, on just your joy. And you're asking those questions. That's where we believe here at Rockbridge that Jesus has such an incredible answer to this. That Jesus provides such an incredible answer to this purpose dilemma, this tension 
that we all live in. And Matt touched on this last week. And it's this one of these just theme verses of 1 Corinthians. And when we, he, he taught it at the end. And then if we just focus on it again, if you just read the letter of 1 Corinthians, it is like a theme. It is like one of the key verses to really pull away and take away from 1 Corinthians. Because it, I believe, Paul would say, this should cause a ripple effect in you right now when you hear it when you listen to it. It says, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? In other words, for those of you who have said yes to Jesus and given him the steering wheel of your life, that, that God has responded to that step of faith and filled you with his spirit like a temple where he used to dwell with his people and meet. He wants that to be you, your life. He wants to fill your life with his presence in the same way that we might use this kind of practical example of temple and this idea of temple, like that, that you and I can be in the presence of God, that we can have the Spirit of God in us. Like, this is a huge moment and a huge statement that's kind of right there in the middle of 1 Corinthians. Paul's like, Don't move forward, think about this. But and for some of us, we might be new to, to Christianity or checking things out, or maybe new to the Bible, we haven't exactly interacted with it. And so this, this word and this idea, this theme throughout the Bible, like, like it's been all throughout the Bible. Like you can look at it all the way back into the garden, the creation with Adam and Eve and what's happening in the garden. They are walking with God. The garden's a temple of God's presence where God meets with his people. But we also learn in the garden that sin can separate us from God's presence presence and that's what happens so God makes a sacrifice there and so you know what I'm going to judge you now but but there's going to be purpose in this and I'm going to point you to something in the future further on in the Old Testament he commands them to build a temple where he would meet them through sacrifices that his presence through the sacrifices of something other than them so it wasn't their sacrifice it was something else animals at that time that God would meet with his people through a temple that that would be a place where God meets with people. And that was the concept people had. And then in the New Testament, Jesus comes on the scene and is like, Hey, the one that you used to meet in the temple, I'm him in the flesh. I am God in the flesh. There's no need for the temple no more because I'm the one that you've been meeting in the temple. I'm the temple. I'm the son of God. I'm God in the flesh. And I'm here to give you a new way, to show you a new way. To be the savior of the world. So that whoever believes in him would have everlasting life. And be filled with his spirit. And that's what he does when he launches the church. In Acts, the first thing he does is what? He fills them with the spirit. So now it's no longer a building. He models this. It's a person. Now we are people, just like Paul said. We are the things that God fills with his presence. There is zero power in this room. Zero power. There's no power in any room on the earth. The power is in the people that are in the room. You and me. The concept that there's power in a room or a house of God, which doesn't work anymore because Jesus did away with that type of Old Testament thinking. Don't think like that anymore because he was the one filled and now he fills us. It, he wants to fill people now. You and I are living, breathing Places that God wants to fill with his spirit and with his prayer. I mean, you talk about changing the way you think and changing the way 
You talk about having a ripple effect. And Matt talked last week. When we think about living for God, we kind of think of a God box. And that's what the Christians in Corinth were doing. They were going, okay, we want to respond to this message. So what do we put in our God box? How, how do we kind of respond to this? And then what doesn't go in the box? What, what goes in our life? So Thursday nights are in the God box, but what about Friday nights? And, and, and certain relationships, maybe not these relationships, and certain activities I'm going to surrender, but I don't know if I'm going to surrender financially and worship God through giving. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. You're the temple of God now. His presence is available to you everywhere you go. It's no longer bound by walls and buildings. In other words, there is no more God box. Your whole life goes in the box, which means there is no box no more. There is no checklist like Matt talked about last week. It's relationship, and it's all of us. It's all of us. Ripple effect. And so what Paul is going to do throughout the rest of chapter 7 is continue to teach us so how do, how, does that, how do we continue to apply that to certain situations and maybe challenges, things like diversity, things like how, how do you deal with that when you've got a room full of people that have different background and different past, that have different values, that have a different political views, that grew up different ways and they're just kind of operating their life different ways, maybe because of their family, maybe because of where they grew up, maybe because of how they were taught. Like what do you do now that we see that? How do we respond to that? And that's where Paul's going to lead us in the rest of chapter 7 in 1 Corinthians. So we're going to jump in there. We're going to read through one main section of scriptures, and then we're going to go right back around and kind of walk through it together and draw out some principles, and then we'll end with taking those principles and creating some application steps for us. So we're going to jump back in to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, start in verse 17 with Paul. He continues, Let each one live his or her life in the situation the Lord assigned when God called him. This is what I command in all the churches. Was anyone already circumcised when he was called? We'll unpack this. He should not undo his circumcision. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? He should not get circumcised. Circumcision does not matter. And uncircumcision does not matter. If, if, that, if those big words lost you, I promise we're going to unpack it here in a moment. Those things don't matter. What does matter is keeping God's commands is what matters. Let each one of you remain in the situation in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Don't let it concern you. But if you can become free, by all means, take the opportunity. For he who, um, he who is called by the Lord as a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called as a free man is Christ's slave. Last couple of verses, you were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of people. Brothers and sisters, each person is to remain with God in the situation in which he was called. So immediately when I read the Bible, and this is just kind of interacting, engaging with the Bible one-on-one. -on -one. When you see things repeated, when you see words repeated, when you see phrases repeated, underline them. Go back through, underline them, highlight them, do it on your app, make a little note, and, and kind of consciously be like, man, that word, that phrase was repeated a lot. And Paul has a word in this section of Scripture that he repeats multiple times. And I'm just going to kind of go back through, not necessarily read everything, but just be like, hey, the word called is in here an awful 
Lot situation, the Lord assigned when he called him. Was anyone already circumcised? When they were called, again, a little bit later, was anyone called while? So this calling seems to be a big deal. We continue in the next section. Let each of you remain in the situation which they were called. Were you called? For he who is called, he who is called as a free man as Christ's slave. One more time, for the eighth time actually within this section, we see the word called highlighted. And so immediately we've got to go, wait, so, so that is important. What does he mean? What does he want us to think about when he's reminding us, hey, you were called. God called you. And Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians. And we can go back there to kind of sit in this word for a second and, and grab some things from it. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says this, God is faithful. You were called by him for this into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You know what comes to mind when I see that word fellowship? Relationship, oneness. As if God has filled us with his presence in a unique way for a unique bond. It's almost like Paul is saying, hey, you're going to be my new living, breathing temples where my presence goes out into the world. That type of fellowship is kind of foreshadowed in chapter 1. Paul picks it back up in chapter 6. And here in chapter 7 that we just read, he's bringing this word back up. And he's reminding them, remember what you were called to. And this is what I want you to think about. That you would be in fellowship with Jesus. Now just take a moment and think about for you. When you think about knowing God and, and, and believing in God, like what comes to your mind? Is it fellowship, oneness, togetherness with Jesus' relationship? Is it that? Because that's what Paul is calling us back to in chapter 7. We can say it like this. God's will, here's our word, purpose for you, for your life, is to believe Jesus not just to believe in Jesus, but to believe Jesus, and there is a difference. We can intellectually think that a chair is going to hold us up, but look at it and not practically believe that it's going to hold us up, right? There's a difference. So we believe Jesus and to live in fellowship with him. Straight out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, chapter 6, and chapter 7, bringing us back to God's not offering a to-do list or a checklist. There's no more God box. It's a relationship. It's your whole life he wants to be a part of. He's not just wanting to fill you with his spirit and make you his dwelling place so that we can compartmentalize. And this is what the Corinthian church was doing. They were like, hey, so we can, can we kind of put things over here and you not mess with those things like marriage, relationships, sexuality? Can we put things over here like our money and kind of our cultural identity and you not mess with those things? It's like, no, 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 no. We can't put things in a box. There's no more box. Because there's relationship now and there's God filling us with his spirit and his presence so that we can have fellowship with him. Fellowship with him. What does that look like for you right now? We'll talk about that a little bit more later because Paul will now unpack what fellowship looks like when we believe Jesus when it comes to our relationships. Which gives us a new purpose in our relationships. And we'll continue in chapter 7. It says, Let each one of you live his life in the situation the Lord assigned when God called him. 
This is what I command. And we need to, when we see that word calling, let's go back. He's calling us to follow him and live in fellowship with him. But what about our relationships? What about when it's tough, when we're diverse, when, when we're just different, when culturally we had totally different backgrounds and totally different upbringings? Like, all right, we're going to get there. So let's jump into that. Was anyone already circumcised when he was called? He should not undo his circumcision. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? He should not get circumcised. Circumcision does not matter, and uncircumcision does not matter. Keeping God's commands, the things he's called us to, is what matters. And Paul brings up something that would have been a culturally divisive topic, circumcision. It would have been something that was tied to the Jews that kind of marked them as separate from other ethnicities and other cultures and other races. Like, hey, this is a practical thing that we do in our culture. Like, this is a part of our history. So, in other words, we who do this, like, we're kind of a group. And then there's another group over here. And this is the, the, the dynamic and the dilemma that we had in the early church. You had people with a whole lot of religious experience Coming to faith in Jesus, you had a bunch of people that never had religious experience or worshipped other gods or, or, or did other things, and they were coming to Jesus. You had people from different backgrounds. You had people from different races. You had people from different cultures. And it's just this hodgepodge of people, and they're going, all right, we're following Jesus. We've obeyed the call. We want to be filled with the Spirit. But, man, some of these things are still dividing us. And Paul's like, hold on. What happens when we allow our experiences or where we grew up, or, or the values we grew up in, or our religious experiences, or lack thereof to cause us to kind of make assumptions about other people. We're taking these things and we're making them that are supposed to be secondary, primary things. And when things that God only wants us to value in a secondary manner, not in the primary, not the most important thing, when we allow those things become primary and shift our focus on how we view people, Paul's like, mm, those things don't matter as much as you think they matter. What matters is keeping God's commands. That matters most, is remembering that calling. Here's how we could say it. Believing Jesus and living in fellowship with him will change the way you see yourself and others. There'll be a change. There'll be a transformation. The things that you make primary, that, that, that the filters you use with people, maybe their background, their story, where they grew up, how they grew up, those things that we make primary and cause to kind of us to push people in this corner, compartmentalize like we talked about. The boxes we create, the list we create, the checklist we create. Paul's like, no, those are secondary things. You're allowing those things to become primary. And you can't do that because when you follow Jesus, you lay all those things down and his teachings become primary. And you've got to allow them walking in fellowship with him will result in a change in the way you see yourselves and you see others. And he doesn't stop with this example of kind of cultural identity and cultural background and ethnicity, which is what the whole circumcision kind of example represents he continues into more of kind of a socio-economical way that we compartmentalize and separate and make assumptions. He continues here. Were you called 
while a slave. And just so you know, I spent a lot of time reading this section, listening to people that have doctorates and a lot smarter than me and that taught for decades. And when I was reading through this section and studying and listening and talking to Matt and some of the resources he gave me, one of kind of a consensual idea is that when we see this word, it's not the type of slave we think about when we think of 17th century to 19th century North America. It was a different system. It was more like a servant, more like an employee. Like these people actually could make money. These people could actually like make enough money to buy their own freedom. And it actually, in some cases, even though it wasn't like a great position, it was more kind of a lower class job. They could make their money, buy their way to freedom. And then many of them, because of the connection with the person they worked for, actually kind of took on their name and just kept working for them as a free person, which he kind of hints to down here with this Word And as we unpack this, he uses this example of kind of a, a lower class job and says, hey, were you called? Did God work in your life when you had this type of job? When you lived in this type of setting? Don't let it concern you. But if you can become free, by all means, take the opportunity for he who is called by the Lord as a slave with a certain type of job at a certain level in the socioeconomic status, with a certain amount of things, or maybe a, not a lot amount of things, is the Lord's freeman. That this place that you're in right now, this season of your life, can't keep you from experiencing the freedom and the spirit and the power of God. It's not a barrier. It's not an obstacle. It's not like only people who have a certain amount of money, we're getting back into the God box stuff. He's like, no, 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 no. There's no limitation. No matter how much or how little you have, where you're at in your life, what your job looks like, whether it's a lot or a little bit, that can't stop you from experiencing the freedom, the presence, and being a temple of God and being called by God to walk in fellowship with him. That can't stop you. So don't let it cause you to view people differently within your church because we're from all different backgrounds and all walks of life. He continues to unpack this. Likewise, he flips it and talks about not the people who maybe have less, but the people who have more, the people who have kind of uh, socioeconomically a lot, people who are blessed. He says, likewise, who is called as free, who maybe has a, a, a higher status job or a high, from a higher status part of the community where that might cause them to kind of puff up and pride up a little bit. He says, when we're called as we are free, as a free man, you are Christ's slaves. He flips it. You can't use how little you have as an excuse to say that God can't work through you because he can. He wants to fill you with his spirit too. You also can't say, I have so much, therefore God is blessing me. No, 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 no. God's blessed you to become a servant of others, to be sacrificially generous. Go so far as to say to be a slave, to view yourself that God has put you in the position you are in to bless, to be a light to be sacrificially generous to the people around you. So don't let that become a barrier either. Don't let that puff you up. You are bought at a price, and he brings them back to the gospel. He brings them back to Jesus. He brings them back to the cross. He brings them both back, both to the start of their faith, the founder of their faith, and what he was willing to do for us. We should be willing to do the same, right? Do not become slaves of people. Don't get lost in comparison. Don't create these assumptions 
because of how little or how much neither of those things can keep you from experiencing the presence of God or from you believing and seeing God work through someone else who may be fit in one of these two categories. God still wants to work through both. I could say it like this, a unified, that's where Paul's getting at. Don't let these things affect your unity a unified all walks of life, that's Rockbridge Lanes. That, that's our heart. We believe we want to be a church with people from all walks of life. With servers in the room and doctors in the room and surgeons in the room and nurses in the room and teachers in the room and librarians in the room and oil changers in the room. All of the above. All walks of life. Church only happens when we have a gospel-centered view bought with a price-centered view doesn't matter where you come from, what you've done, who you are. God can call anyone and fill them with his spirit. We've got to have that view of each other. Got to have that view of each other. There's got to be a change. And it's got to be a change that brings about unity. And that unity can only survive as we are constantly viewing each other as gospel either recipients or gospel opportunities, right? As someone who has received this good news and this calling to walk in fellowship with Jesus or as someone who hasn't yet. But God, we're praying. We're praying, God, come on. That they can know you. That's gospel-centered view of each other. And Paul continues immediately with a new gospel-centered view that he's trying to get the church to have of each other, brothers and sisters. That's the gospel. That's a God. That's how Jesus' teachings change and bring about a new way that they view each other. Don't view each other through your past, your culture, history, your journey, how much you have, how much you don't have, the type of job you have, brothers and sisters. Each person is to remain with God, fellowship with Jesus. There it is, in the situation in which he was called. In the situation. That he was called. And Paul brings us back to this reality. The thing we're going through, the thing we're facing, the purpose tension we have, the questions we're asking, the situation that's brought us here now. God is already at work with you in this situation. He started this section with this same language. Let each one of you, verse 17, live his life in this situation, that maybe the situation that got you here that you think is the obstacle to God working in your life is the very situation that God is using as the opportunity to work more in your life. In this situation, the Lord has a sign. There's an assignment and there's a purpose. In this moment, in this job, in this friendship, in this relationship, in this decision at work, in this decision as you decide where you're going to go to college, in this decision right now, in this situation in your life, something in it matters because God is good and God is faithful. Therefore, every season, every journey, every situation, every decision of your life can have a kingdom purpose. Listen, I have just been through too much suffering and trials in my life to not believe this. 
I just, I, I just can't. I've heard too many stories. I've heard too many testimonies. I've seen it too much to not believe this, that every season... I remember when I got saved, I was a server at Red Lobster. And I remember that all of a sudden, my mindset changed. All of a sudden, I had this platform with like 40 other servers that I got to be a living, breathing temple of God and take the presence of God and take my fellowship with Jesus and share it with them. Changed everything. I'll never forget one Saturday afternoon. It was like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And I was rolling silver when I just started crying. God, you saved me. You saw all the things that I had did. You saw all the choices I was going to make. You saw the situations I was going to put myself in turning away from you. And you were going to save me and now use me every season. I can't give you the answer you might be looking for. I can just point you in a direction. There can be a kingdom purpose in it. There can be an assignment to this season. There can be something there for you that God's going to use and redeem and restore. And Paul finishes the chapter by getting back to relationships. He started the chapter with marriage and relationships, and he ends the chapter. And we're not going to go through it, but it's just it, he does the same thing that he did with circumcision. He does the same thing that he did with jobs and socioeconomic status. He says, hey, the same conversation, the same principles apply to your relational status. There's purpose in this. And there's purpose in this. And he even goes this far, which is something that just we need to flip on our heads. It's just backwards and upside down to our culture. There's actually more purpose and more freedom and more opportunity in this to keep God's command. Because that's what matters. When you step into this, responsibilities get in the way. They may be good ones, but they get in the way. Your time becomes limited. You add kids to the mix, there goes your evenings. But when you're here, man, I love being single. I could just serve God whenever I wanted to and trust him that there's a purpose in this. There's a purpose in this. And there's a greater purpose than either of these. It's to follow him with your whole heart, your whole mind, your whole strength to walk in fellowship with him. And trust him with this. This is secondary Keep the primary thing in focus. So I want to end just by giving us three steps to take these principles and these takeaways that we've talked about and apply them. Number one, seek Jesus with a new commitment to daily habits that are focused on him. How do you walk in fellowship with Jesus? Well, number one, you've got to seek him with your heart. No one can do that for you. It's got to be that personal step, that personal, God, I'm seeking you, Jesus. And, and, and it's not even for the answers. It's like, Lord, I may have got here by this situation. I don't know how it's going to work out. I just want you. I just want you. I want the real you. I want your presence in my life. I'm tired of fake. I want you, Lord. Your presence, that's the invitation of the gospel. And that becomes fellowship and relationship with new habits. New habits. We, we, that involves the Bible, prayer, music, and relationships. There's a great app. YouVersion app has so many like reading plans and so many devotionals you can use. We've got plans. You can look on your bullets and we've got something called Time with God that is a great resource to help you read, to help you pray. Music. i got to tell you one thing. Thursday nights or Sunday mornings or whenever you join us, that's not the only time I listen to worship music. 
Because, man, it focuses my heart and it captures my attention. And it reminds me of the one who's called me to walk in fellowship with him. So change that. Increase the type of music that honors God in your life. And have intentional relations. We call those small groups. We call those D groups. We call that life together here. Practically good for me. I've got about a 30-minute drive in my life right now. I listen to this. I use that time to pray. I listen to worship music. And I make intentional phone calls to check on people and to pray with people and ask people to pray for me. Seeking. You can seek God just like that. Number two. Like putting on a pair of glasses Put on a gospel-centered view of yourself and everyone around you. A gospel-centered view. All of a sudden, the new way you view people is, have they received the gospel? Praise God, I can connect with them like Paul said, as brother or sister, how can I encourage them? How can I pray with them? Have they not responded to that calling yet? Oh my God, how can I love them? How can I serve them? How can I be a bridge builder for them to be a bridge between them and Jesus? God, use me. All of a sudden, my prayer life when I was working at Red Lobster became, God, give me opportunities today. God, I want to be used. God, give me opportunities to talk about you. Give me opportunities to pray for someone. God, give me opportunities to share with someone what you've been doing in my life so that they can hear the gospel and respond to this incredible invitation, this calling to follow you, Jesus, and to walk with you, to be forgiven of our sins and have everlasting life. A good question for you is when you're around someone at work and you're around someone at home and you get around them, what comes up? A secondary thing? The first time you're around them, what comes up? A secondary thing or the gospel? What comes up in your mind when you get around them? The answer to that is the answer to how much are you walking in this? Every relationship, your job's not an obstacle, it's an opportunity. Your friendships, your relationships, your kids aren't an obstacle. They're opportunities. Co-workers aren't obstacles. They're opportunities to follow Jesus with a gospel-centered view of people. And lastly, I'll end with this. Embrace the season God has you in and trust Him in His timing. No one who follows Jesus and walks with Him will ever be forgotten about. Will ever be disappointed? May go through hard things. You will go through hard things. He'll work things out. I'm going to end you with the word. Psalm 37. Trust in the Lord and do what is good. Walk with him in fellowship. Dwell in the land and live surely. Take delight. That's relationship. That's fellowship. That's the calling we're talking about. Take delight in seeking the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit your way to the Lord. Remember your calling. Seek Him. Trust in Him that He's good and He's faithful and He will act, making your righteousness shine like the dawn and your justice like the noon day. Hear that calling today. Hear that calling from Jesus right now to believe in Him, to believe Him, trust Him, and to walk with Him and see that this situation you're in is not an obstacle. This challenge is an opportunity for you to experience more of him. 
Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for your love that knows no bounds, that's, that, that knows no limits. There's no situation. There's no moment in our story. There's nothing that can separate us and that can keep us from being in a place where you can work in our life and fill us anew with your spirit and make us New. My hope and my prayer right now is for anyone who is hearing or watching or listening and they're just in this moment, this situation that's just brought them to their knees and they're not sure what's next and maybe they've lost hope in themselves and the, the, everything in front of them and it's only a mountain. I pray they would see you in it, hear you in it, feel you in this moment and hear this invitation to believe in you, to believe your word, to follow you, to walk with you, to take the step you're leading them to take and to trust that you are good and that you are faithful. Jesus, it's in your incredible name that we pray. Amen.